good to be reminded of God's love for us and the demonstration of that love at the cross. And uh, as Allison shared with us, we might go through some type of circumstance in our situation in our life where we begin to question, uh, does God really love me and care for me? Has he forgotten me? The text we're going to see from the book of Ruth, I think that's where she is. And she's pretty angry at God, frustrated at God, but doesn't see that God loves her and God's at work in her life. I invite you to open your Bible with me to the book of Ruth. We began a series uh, last Sunday morning, and so I'll invite you to read there with me in the first chapter in just a moment. And, and as we do, I just want to review the context and raise a couple of considerations before we, we go further this morning. The context of the story begins with a focus on the life of Naomi. A, uh, she's all that's left of her family, a Jewish woman living in the land of Moab. If you remember 10 years prior to this time, the Bible says when a, a famine comes to Judah, that she along with her household, they move. And it kind of paints a picture that in a time of testing, that they leave the land of Judah, they leave their home, leave their relatives, extended family, for a famine comes upon them. They decide to uh, leave the promised land. They leave the place that God had called them to be, uh, a place that God had provided for them. They leave that place of blessing. They leave this place of worship, and instead they choose to relocate and live in Moab a foreign place, a strange place. The decision is made to seek a better life, to seek a life of greater prosperity and abundance in a pagan land called Moab. So here they are living in this foreign land, living in Moab. It's a pagan territory full of idolatry, enemy territory, people who are devoted to the worship of Chemosh or another female god, Estherith. And so there they are. And I want you to consider the Moabites and the Israelites were enemies. They were enemies, which means for Naomi, he, she and her family, in order to survive in Moab and prosper in this pagan territory would require them to blend in, to mix in. So I want you to just kind of consider that for a moment. The entire family, the dad, the wife, the sons, in order as God's people, worshipers of Yahweh, to live in the land of Moab would have required them to abandon God for, or to at least forsake worship openly and to ignore, to reject his statutes, his commands, and in all practicality to put their faith on the shelf. Elimelech, Elimelech, the dad, made this conscious decision that in his pursuit of prosperity to live and find a place where they could do better, he made the conscious decision that I'll move my wife and my family and blend in this area of Moab spiritually just to kind of blend in and to put all of our faith on the shelf. 
In that culture, decisions regarding where to live would have been made entirely by the husband. With Naomi having little to no voice at all, her opinion would have not carried much weight, very little merit. And so Naomi, her husband Elimelech, the two sons Malon, Kilion, choose perhaps for a time to set aside their faith. And in verse 2 of chapter 1 says they went to Moab, and then there's a phrase, it says, and they remained there, which means maybe they had just thought, we'll do this for a while, and then one day we'll go back, but they remained. A few months turned into a few years, a few years turned into 10 years, and here they are in pursuit of the good life, and it came at a price. Elimelech, as a dad, as the spiritual leader of his family, the one that God had charged with the responsibility of teaching his sons to know God and to understand the glory of God and the majesty of God and the supremacy of God and the righteousness of God and the goodness of God and his faithfulness and on and on and to know his word, his statutes, his commandments, and how to walk with God and how to fear him as a dad, to pass these on to his boys, makes the decision to set aside that responsibility, to ignore, to ignore it all, to check it off, and to become spiritually passive. Elimelech was blinded by the temporary worldly pleasures of the day, and as a result, he lost sight of the eternal. And it raises the question, did Elimelech's sons, did they grow up with any spiritual instruction? Did dad have any conversations with his sons about his personal walk with God? Did they read the laws of God together? Were there any times of prayer and worship with the family? Any stories about the land of Bethlehem in which they had left and how God historically had delivered them from the land of Egypt and had provided for them through the, as they wandered through the wilderness. Any kind of conversations and reflection upon those things in the Old Testament. Jewish boys, Hebrew boys, at the age of six until the age of 12, when they would have gone through a ceremony, a bar mitzvah, where celebrating manhood, but from 6 to 12, one of the primary tasks of a dad was to teach his sons to learn and memorize the Torah. Dads were to teach their sons the Torah. What is the Torah? The Torah, the Pentateuch, is the first five books of the Old Testament. To memorize Genesis and Exodus, even Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, to memorize the Torah. The Bible says that when Malon and Killian grow up, they choose Moabite girls to marry. Girls who know nothing of Yahweh, and it's probably all they had to choose from, because their dad made a decision to put them in that situation. The law was clear that marrying someone outside of their faith was something completely forbidden from God's word. It was not just an arbitrary 
restriction, but it was for their own good, to protect their hearts from losing their love and their passion for God. By the way, a mandate that's still in effect today, and I would say sadly is largely ignored by many people who grow up as Christians and followers of Christ today. 2 Corinthians 6, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he's very clear, do not be unequally yoked with a non-believer. The idea is don't enter into the covenant of marriage with a wife or a husband who is not clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he goes on in that same text and says, a believer marrying a non-believer is like trying to mix light and darkness. A believer marrying a non-believer is like asking Jesus and Satan to be friends. Nonetheless, it's often ignored. Malon and Killian ignore it. Jewish boys marry these Moabite girls. Malon marries Orpah. Killian marries Ruth. And the Bible says after about 10 years of over this course of time, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies, and then both sons die. Malan dies. Killian dies. Do you remember the meaning of their names? Could I quiz you? What does Elimelech mean? My God is king. What does Naomi mean? It means pleasure. What does Malan mean? Sickness. Killian. Wasting away. Kind of makes the point, doesn't it? Which sums up the outcome of their family. When the dad forsakes God as his king and marries and pursues pleasure, his family will become spiritually sick and will waste away. Dads, I want to challenge you this morning and encourage you to lead your family as God wants you to lead them. Start today. You can't go back and you can't recapture lost years, but start today. Even if your family has grown and is out of the home, you can still provide spiritual leadership to your family. Start today. Be the spiritual servant. Reject passivity. Reject passivity. Lead your family to be worshipers. Lead with courage. Step up. God will give you the grace to do so and live for the great reward of hearing him say to you one day, good job. Well done, my faithful servant, and to see them embrace Christ. In our text, Naomi is all alone, living in Moab, in enemy land, among a people who worship Chemosh, and three times Naomi is hit with bereavement, filled with sadness and grief. No husband, no sons, no, grand, no grandkids, no spiritual support, no emotional support, no financial support, no income, far away from her home. And, and she's faced with a decision, what am I going to do? How am I going to respond to this? Certainly, all of us could resonate with Naomi's lot, that the outcome of our lives is a mixed combination of choices. Some of those choices we choose, decisions that we make on our own, and then there are other choices that kind of choose us when life just happens and events and circumstances seem to be thrust upon us. 
But in either case, we find ourselves responding to one of two ways. We can first respond either in faith or we can respond in the flesh. We can either rely upon God and cling to his word and walk by faith and trust him and obey him and continue to pray and watch with hope or we can rely upon ourselves and just try to rise above it all and just cope and find strength and anything and everything that we can find that would provide some kind of relief and support often which is what we do. And so here's Naomi her life mostly a byproduct of choices that have been thrust upon her, and now she has to make some choices on her own, hard choices, real choices. And so I invite you to read with me, starting in verse 6 in the book of Ruth. Then she, Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb and that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, Ruth, and Ruth clung to her, and she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they came to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, 
Do not call me Naomi, pleasure. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. The central figure in the text is Naomi, and in ways that she cannot see, God is at work in her life. Even in Naomi's severe affliction, far beyond her ability to understand, God is working in her life. And I want to propose the same thing to every one of you, the same reality. You, just like Naomi, should realize and remember God is at work in your life especially during times or seasons of adversity. When it seems like God has forgotten you, when it seems like God has turned against you and is bringing affliction upon you in your soul, when it might be tempting to conclude that his hand is against you and instead of becoming bitter, which is a possibility, that by faith you trust him and know that he is at work. When in all actuality, I want to sincerely propose, it might be the very opposite of how it appears. Things might be the very opposite of how they feel when you're going through seasons of testing and affliction. God may be working to bring forth his glory in your life, transforming you by his power, by the presence of the Holy Spirit. God is at work conforming you to the image of Christ Jesus, his son, birthing in you a new spiritual hunger and thirst for the righteousness of Christ, to please him, to have fellowship with him, to become his worshiper. And so I want to propose that during Naomi's crisis, We'll see from the text, God was very much at work. And so, would you consider with me four scenes from this text on how God is at work in this story? The first scene is found in verses 6 and 7. God leads Naomi to go home. Begin to think about verse 5 and verse 6. And what happened between verse 5 and and verse 6, it's not recorded. And in verse 5, Naomi is grieving. And other than her daughters-in-law, she's all alone. Then in verse 6 says, she rises up. And she leaves the land of Moab, going back home, back to Judah. What happened to Naomi between verse 5 and 6? Grieving in one and traveling in the other. I want to propose to you that God begin to speak to her, bringing forth a spirit of conviction, having thoughts of this is what you should do. I'm going back to my spiritual roots. 
She began to think, I'm going to go back to the place where I was taught about God. I'm going to go back to what I truly believe, back to worship God, back to Jerusalem, back to the place of bread. It's very likely that some time elapsed between verse 5 and 6, time where she begins to think and reflect and to seek God and listen, maybe to pray and gather up her thoughts, God began to lead Naomi. I was reminded Thursday of a verse that popped on the screen, Isaiah 30, verse 21. God says to his people, when you hear a voice, when you hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When you hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. I believe Naomi began entertaining God's voice, having thoughts from God, and she came to the conviction, this is what I need to do. This is what God wants for me. And then she shares the decision with her two daughters-in-law. Hey, Orpah and Ruth, I've made the decision to leave. I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. I've heard that God is working there. He's demonstrated his presence with a generous provision of bread. So I'm going back, and if you want, you can go with me. God convicts, and Naomi concludes, I need to go home. Through this trial, I've realized that God is calling me back by his grace. Sometimes we have to go through life and live a little bit and experience some affliction before we realize the goodness and the grace of God. That prodigal son in your life, that prodigal daughter, that prodigal grandchild who wants their independence, who wants to be free and to live life on their own terms and to begin to make all of their own decisions, sometimes have to, has to live a while and to walk the pig pen trail before they experience the slop of the world and come to their senses and follow God's call and go back home. Naomi follows God's voice, having received a sense of conviction to go back. That's scene one. Scene two in verses 8 through 13. God leads Naomi to have a conversation with these girls. Seems like God places a concern in Naomi's heart for Orpah and Ruth, and she's led to have a conversation because, in addition to what's best for her, Naomi begins to have thoughts about what's best for these girls out of love and out of concern for them. And she has a conversation with them. In verses 8 through 13, she began trying to. Convince them, hey, Orpah and Ruth, I, I want to talk with you. Would you talk with me? God's put something on my heart that I want to share with you, and I'd like for you to listen to me. In verse 8, she begins, first, I want to thank you. You've both been so kind, and I, I want the Lord to bless you. I want him to really bless your life, and I both would really think it's best if the two of you would just start over. And so I want you to go back to Moab, go back to your homes, 
Go back and find rest with your families. And verses 9 and 10, it's a obviously a touching moment. The Bible says Naomi kisses the girls, and they kiss her back, and then all three begin to cry. And, and verse 10, Orpah and Ruth cry out, oh, we'll never leave you now. And so you have these three women, they're hugging and crying, and we're together, and we'll not leave. And Verses 11 and 13, Naomi in all the emotion of the moment tries to reason with him, and she goes further in verse 11. Ladies, I want you to go back. I can't do anything for you. I have no more sons. Go back to Moab. I have no more boys and will never have any more. I'm too old to start over now, but you're still young. You're beautiful. Go back and find new husbands and start over. And then verse 14 repeats verse 9. They, they all hug and kiss and cry again and weep some more together. And Naomi, in all of her adversity and all of her grief, decides rightly so, I'm going to respond with faith. I'm determined to obey God. I'm going to pack up and go home and I'm going to have the necessary conversation that I need to have with Orpah and Ruth and, and in love I'm going to share with them what God has placed upon my heart. Now, let's, let's pause there for just a moment. Any of you ever arrive at a place of conviction in your life where the Holy Spirit is calling you by faith and out of love and concern for another person, you need to have a conversation? Out of love and concern for, might be a family member, it could be a son, it could be a daughter, it could be a neighbor, it could be a coworker, but the Holy Spirit out of, has prompted you, has convicted you out of, because you genuinely love that other person and you know God is calling you to have a conversation with that other person because you want God's best for their life. Let's give Naomi some credit. And I want to urge you, you do, do you know what I'm talking about? You with me? As a dad, when you know that you need to have a conversation with your son, a mom, when you know that you need to have a conversation with your daughter, and perhaps you're not sure how they're going to respond, they might just brace up and become resentful and defensive and shut you down. But you know God, out of your love and concern for them, has put a, something in your heart where you need to have a conversation with them. I've come to realize over the years and to recognize that any thoughts that I ever have like that to do something for God something that I know is a good thing that's according to his will, the realization is that any time I have those kinds of thoughts, I've come to recognize they're not my thoughts. So what are you talking about? You see, left to myself, left to my flesh, I'm not going to have thoughts to read my Bible. Left to my flesh, left to myself, I'm not going to have thoughts to pray. Left to myself, left to my flesh, I'm not going to have thoughts to worship. 
left to my flesh, left to myself, I'm not going to have thoughts to have gospel conversations with other people. You know where those thoughts are coming from? They're not coming from you. They're coming from the Holy Spirit. And he's pouring his thoughts. He's speaking. You remember Jesus in John 10 said, my sheep know me and my sheep know my voice. How does God speak? God speaks today through his word and through the indwelling presence of our Holy Spirit. And I'm going to say this to you in love. I, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to step up and trust the Lord by faith and have the conversations that you need to have. Have the conversations. I could tell you some stories recently of Minnie and I, were, I knew I've had to have some of those conversations with people. And so you pray, you pray, and you wait for the right moment under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, out of love, and you say, hey, Orpa, Ruth, I need to talk with you. I need to have a conversation. I want you to just really urge you today to be obedient to that voice that God has placed upon your mind and in your heart. The third scene is verses 14 through 18. God leads Ruth to cling to Naomi. Look at verse 15. Orpah, she leaves. She goes back, back to her family, back to her gods. But look at verse 14. Ruth, on the other hand, the Bible says she clung she clung to Naomi. It's the same word you find in Genesis 2-4 where it says a man shall leave his father and mother and shall clung, no, cling, cleave to his wife. It's the same word, tabak, same Hebrew word. And it's a word that means to be glued, to be fixed. It's a, a, a covenant commitment. And what Naomi doesn't know, what Naomi can't realize at this moment is that God is at work in Ruth. You know, I was thinking about maybe when, when Naomi first has a conversation with Orpah and Ruth about going back to Jerusalem, she had to have some kind of conversation. And maybe she began to share a little bit. I, that's, those are my spiritual roots. That's where my family is. That's where I was raised. That's where I worship the Lord. I'm going to go back to where I know God wants me to be. And maybe through that conversation, God began to work in the mind, in the heart of Ruth. And Ruth begins to have some thoughts. Notice, look at Ruth's, Ruth's conviction in verses 16 and 17. You often see this read at weddings, don't you? Yeah, it's a good wedding text. Entreat me not to leave you, Naomi, or to turn back from following after you. Naomi, wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And look at this. Naomi, your God will be my God. Naomi has no idea how God is at work in Ruth's life. But in verse 18, once she hears this strong response by Ruth, the Bible says she stops trying to change her mind. It's no different for us. God's at work. God's at work in us. God's at work in the lives of those around us. And it's so critical for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, obedient to the Spirit so that we can walk with him in faith. And then look at the final scene, verses 19 through 22. It's a pretty cool scene. 
Notice in verses 19 and 20, the Jewish women, after Naomi arrives at, arrives at her destination, she's finally back in Bethlehem, back to the place of bread, back home. Naomi goes back to her spiritual roots, and the scene represents a return to her faith. And along with Naomi, right there at her side is Ruth, this young Gentile woman from Moab. And here's the scene. God leads the women of Bethlehem, and I like this. It's good, some good women's ministry consideration right here. God leads the women of Bethlehem to rise up and to provide care for Naomi and Ruth. Look at verse 19. It says, all of the cities excited. Verse 19 goes on to single out the women. The women are excited. Kind of a small town scene, a community where news travels fast. Hey, y'all, did you hear that someone told me Naomi is back? Do you remember Naomi? And she's back. Naomi has this young Moabite girl with her, and I, and I heard that young girl's a Moabite. And once the word is spread, and after all the small town gossip begins to subside, the women of the city sincerely come together and welcome Naomi home, and even Ruth. Oh, Naomi, we're so glad to see you. Naomi, it's nice to have you back. Tell us about your journey. Tell us about your family. What's happened? Tell us about this young woman who is with you. What's her name? Naomi, tell us how God's been at work in your life. And I can imagine without any recognizable means of support, the women ask, how can we help you? What do you need? And if you look at verse 20 and 21, uh, it's pretty apparent that Naomi is still hurting and her thoughts come forth. She's kind of bitter, still kind of angry, still kind of frustrated, kind of what we heard earlier, kind of blaming God for all of this. She just doesn't see it yet. She doesn't see how God's at work. God leads Naomi to this entire story, ways that she doesn't see, to trust him and to do what he's leading her to do, to have some hard conversations. And God is leading Ruth and drawing her, and God is working in the community the, among the women of Bethlehem. God is at work in your life today. He is. God is working in you. God loves you. And it may be that the adversity and the affliction that you're going through and that you're feeling today, it may be that God is doing some of his finest work in your heart and in your mind than you can even understand, even if you don't see it. He's full of grace working his redemption and his purposes out in us. The Lord Jesus Christ, led by the Spirit and by the Word of God, in order to please his Father, submits to a cross, humbles himself to a cross and trusts, and trusts the Father. 
and goes to the cross for us. And a reminder of his presence and as a reminder of his grace today. And as a reminder that he is at work in your life and in mine, we can come to his table and remember. And remember. I had a conversation with a family member on the phone on Friday. And she was telling me about someone else in her life she was trying to talk about their relationship with God, to talk to them about their faith in Christ, and the person, and I know who she's talking about, said, I don't believe any of that. God has never done one thing for me. It's very hostile, very angry towards God. And you know, fails to see the grace and the goodness of God in the gospel to remember. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, we invite you to come to the table to receive the bread and the cup. And after we've all uh, received this, we'll take it as an expression of our unity and in Christ together. And so uh, you take a few moments and you pray. You can come and then pray. And after everyone's served, then we'll, we'll take this cup and the bread together. And so you pray and you come as God's Spirit leads you.